So, Birdo, what do you think about the band Queen? Oh my gosh, man! I have a lot of lot of love for Queen. They're, some of their best songs are some of my favorite songs. Um, I was I came late to Queen. I, I wish I had really had their records when I was young and things like that. But I discovered I I, I knew uh, you know. Their biggest hit, uh, "We Will Rock You" or something. No, no, no. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we are dun, the champions. Dun, dun. Oh, another, another one, one bites, bites the dust. dust. I knew that song by itself. Like I knew that radio when you song. were growing up in Colombia. Yeah, because it was on the radio. It was one of. It was. A, I think it was a number one, or it was very close to number one, whatever. But I didn't really know Queen. I just didn't. And then, and then Wayne's World came out. <laughs> so I discovered Queen after Wayne's World. I see. Yeah. Well, I grew up with Queen. My brother listened to Queen and had them on record and had the 45 with uh, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions Mm -hmm. and would listen to it a lot. And, um, you know, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, sort of a rock area, people people love rock and roll. There was, I mean, I remember in the 70s, there were not a lot of graffiti growing up in the Sammamish Plateau. But there, the one graffiti I would see was "Stop Disco" or ah. <laughs> or, or "Disco Sucks." So it was a lot of Led Zeppelin, a lot of you know that sort of thing. Uh, you know, uh, right? So Queen was a big part of uh, my context growing up, and and again, my older brother listened to a lot of Queen, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Killer Queen, um, Fat Bottom Girls, which as kids we just thought were was hilarious because. As I remember hearing that kid or hearing that song when I was, you know, eight years old and just thinking like, why would people like fat bottom girls? It doesn't make, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why like, would they make your rock and world go right? Yeah. I was like that. What? Um, bicycle race, which I totally understood as a bicycle rider when I was a kid. I, I do have a question for you. Yeah. Who are we? Are we not men? Are we are we just dancers? <laughs> uh, you're my best friend. Don't oh, I'm your best. Oh, I see. You're don't don't stop me now. Somebody to love. You know, I remember hearing. But mainly though, what I remember hearing are "We Will Rock You" and, and "We Are the Champions." Those two songs were just you know in the soil of my childhood when I was eight, nine, ten years old. Then. 1980, when I'm nine years old, The Game came out. It's an album called The Game. That's the one with another one, Bites the Dust. Right. A crazy little thing called Love, Save Me, Play the Game. Uh, these are mammoth uh, songs. They had videos that went along, especially Crazy Little Thing Called Love had right. a, had a pretty, pretty popular video on MTV. And uh, when this album came out, my family had the cassette. And Everyone, all, all of us loved it. There were, there were, <laughs> you know, I have three siblings and, and two parents and the six of us, there were certain albums that we could all listen to and enjoy. Nice. And, and one of them was the game partially because the music had a sort of fifties flair to it, you know, especially yeah, totally. crazy little thing called love. And my parents grew up in the fifties and so they kind of liked that thing. And it was cool enough that my older siblings in high school could listen to it oh, yeah. and like interesting enough that me and my little brother, you know, could listen to it. And so we would, I, I must listen to that album hundreds of times <laughs> with my family. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
And there weren't a lot of albums like that. Plus, you know, when you're young and an album is like $12, it's like you don't have a lot of albums. This was not Spotify times. Right. Then after that, you got Flash. Ah! Flash! Ah! Uh, Under Pressure, Radio Gaga, I Want It All. Is that the one with Vanilla Ice? Yeah. Uh, Radio Gaga, uh, I Want It All, I Want to Break Free. Uh, But pretty much after the game, I mean, even those, even Under Pressure... Radio Gaga, I Want It All, I Want to Break Free. I remember those songs, but I I don't remember liking them nearly as much as, as, as I liked, particularly the game. As a kid, I remember just listening to it, because actually that whole album is like really good. Um, then uh, a little bit later, 1986, 1987-ish, CDs started to come out, and one of the CDs that my brother had was the Best of Queen album. Yeah. And so this is the first time when, you know, you have one location with all the best songs because because those early songs are spread out over like six or seven records, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody is on an album, Killer Queens on another album, Fat Bottom Girls is on another album, you know, whereas this best of CD, it was just like, it was one of those, there were, there were a few ubiquitous best of CDs that came out around this time. You had the best of Queen, right. which everyone had. You, you had the best of Journey, which came out around this time, and you had the best of Steve Miller. These three <laughs> albums were ubiquitous with me in high school and college. Like everyone had, everyone had a copy of the best of Queen, the best of Steve <laughs> Miller, and and uh, the best of uh, who did I say? The Eagles. Uh, well, I guess the Eagles, but I hate. I've always hated the Eagles. Oh. I mean, there's a few songs that I like, but anyway. Um, Oh, Journey is what I said. Oh, Journey, right, yeah. right, right. Who, who Journey's I? Greatest Hits? Journey's Greatest Hits. Yeah. It's still a great album. So the, the Queen's Greatest Hits is, I think, the biggest selling uh, UK album of all time or something. Oh, like really? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Then fast, and I've, so I've always listened to Queen, and then when Spotify came out, um, I you know, immediately made a uh, playlist with all my favorite Queen songs. I only, I have probably 20 different playlists that I listen to on Spotify that I've made myself, constructed myself. And one of them is Queen. You know, I have another one for the Beatles, another one for the Shins, uh, (laughs) Elliot Smith, the police, you know, this kind of Depeche Mode, this kind of thing. And the Queen and Queen's one of them. Cause sometimes I'm just in a mood for Queen and really it's often cause Queen can really just hit the spot in a lot of different times. That's funny. Um, Then When when you listen to music, do you have to sing along? Pretty much. Okay, because that's been the story of my life. The songs that I like it's best... It's sort of a narcissistic thing. Totally. The songs that I like best are the songs that I like singing the most. <laughs> really, all of them are singable in yeah. my, my view. Then last year they came to town, obviously after Freddie Mercury had died, and they, they had added Adam Lambert to their ranks as a singer. From the American Idol fame. And it was... You know, usually I try to get like... Um, Tickets that are affordable, but not nosebleeders, which yeah. which usually means like pretty far away, right, right, right. You know, but with Queen, I was like, I gotta be up front, <laughs> so I got seats that were front row, right on the side of the stage. Oh man, and it was awesome. And uh, you know, they have they have Brian May, they have so Taylor, did Adam Lambert, do a good job. Yeah, he did a great job. Right. I mean, he's still Adam Lambert. He's not Freddie Mercury. Right, I mean, right. he definitely has a flair to himself, but right. you know, it, it wasn't like I was going, "Oh my God, I'm at a Queen concert." Right. It, was, it was like I'm I'm seeing the three Queen guys with Adam Lambert. It's not 
their bassist, right? It's it's a different bassist. I think it's their bassist. Yeah, I think he stopped. Oh, or maybe really? He came back now. Hmm. He might have come back. I he, knew at the time, obviously, because I had yeah. looked it up. So, but I, I don't. It's definitely know. the the drummer and and guitarist, though, Brian May. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, you're probably right. It probably isn't the bassist because they definitely had Taylor and May, uh, you know, showcased quite a bit. Anyway, um, amazing music. Uh, you know, four of my favorite songs of all time: "Killer Queen," "Don't Stop Me Now," "Somebody to Love," "Play the Game." You know, obviously, we are the champions, and we will rock you. Are six of my, you know, favorite songs. You know, probably top two hundred songs of all time, or something. Yeah, like my favorite Queen song is "Somebody to Love." Yeah, it's such a great song. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they're a super group. They're you know they're an awesome. All four were awesome songwriters. Yep. Uh, Mercury and May were the main songwriters, but Deacon wrote songs like "Another One Bites the Dust." Yep. Taylor wrote songs like "Radio Gaga." Um, you know, in the movie, how the, cause we're going to get into Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, they make fun of the song. I, I love my car. Yeah. Um, have you heard that song before? No, I, I don't think I have. Well, I might've, but I don't remember it. It's actually pretty good. Is it's, it? it's not a bad song. It, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound like the way you think it sounds. Okay. It's, it's a pretty hard rocking song and Taylor sings it. Okay. The drummers drum. So, and all of them were amazing singers. Yeah, all of them could sing great amazingly yeah like taylor is an amazing singer yeah in and in and of his own right well like i never knew well i didn't know but I, when i first heard uh uh who wants to live forever i didn't realize that the first verse is sung by brian may right uh all of them had extreme you know when you think about the best groups of all time beatles right. led zeppelin uh stones i suppose uh queen uh, you you immediately realize every person in this band would have been successful, the best musician <laughs> of their time if they were in another band of a bunch of mooks. You know what I mean? You put four of these guys in one band, and you're just like, how did they find each other? Right. I mean, Freddie Mercury, of course, just one of the most beautiful electric expressive voices on yeah. the planet that's ever existed and performer performer like yeah the, the 12th degree his style his yeah. dancing you know just amazing brian may some of the best beautiful guitar licks in solos and, of all time and a guitar sound so uniquely his yeah you know, he designed his own guitar. You know, like it's like his own do you, sound. Do you know what he plays with? He doesn't play. He doesn't use a pick. Like finger picking? No, or? he uses a coin. A coin? It's like a like a pence, <laughs> uh, like an English pence or something. Oh my god! It, which blows me away because as a guitar player, I can't. I've tried it actually. There's yeah. been times when I haven't had a pick and I've had to use like a penny. It's is it's very hard to play the guitar with something that hard. Yeah. You know. Um, and he has a PhD in astrophysics. Uh, Deacon, solid creative basis, could write. Taylor, extremely solid drummer, and weird phrases. Have you ever noticed how weird oh, yeah. his phrases are? I, I, I think, I, I believe Paul actually pointed that out to me at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Taylor, I've always noticed that his, some of his drum fills are so unintuitive, but so awesome. Yeah. It's like... If you try to play along with it, you know, air drum, you can't do it. Right. But it's but it still sounds amazing. 
yeah, so it's a super group. And yeah, I just have so many memories of Queen. Uh, one of my friends uh, won a regional lip sync competition doing crazy little thing called Love. He dressed up as Freddie Mercury. Ah. <laughs> uh, again, Fat Bottom Girls, just laughing about that song as a kid. Uh, my family listening to Queen at home. Uh, my, you know, my cousin Brian. Yeah. He thought uh, another one of Bites the Dust was another one Bites the Doctor. Oh, I thought that too. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> I totally thought that. Because it's another one Bites the Dust. Yeah, I totally thought it was the Doctor. You and did. Because remember, it came out in 80. I was five. Yeah. And and that was the one song of theirs I knew from the radio. So, of course, I heard The Doctor. Yeah. And so, I remember as a kid, I'm like, another one bites the doctor. Another one bites the doctor. And I, and I actually thought, I picture, I remember picturing a doctor visit. And and around that age, I actually had to go to the doctor a lot because I had like ear infections right. and things Well, kids like that. go to the doctor at all times. So, doctors are a much bigger part of your life right. back then. So, it made sense that another one would bite the doctor. <laughs> And Wayne, when Wayne World came out, obviously that was a big scene. And I remember, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, that scene in Wayne's World. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, Mike Myers understands me. Like huh. it, it was a similar thing when I saw um, Garden State with uh, Zach Braff. Right. And they played Shins. And they played the yeah. Shins. Because I so much loved the Shins right, at the right. time. Like... I remember thinking as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh my God, someone else likes the shins? Right, right. Like, I remember <laughs> thinking that, like, I didn't know anyone liked the shins. It's funny, because you and I didn't know each other yet, did we? No, it was, way, it was like five or six years before we were Oh, met. we would have had that in common. Okay. And then when I saw the Wayne's World ep- uh, scene, I was like, oh my God, someone understands me. Which is funny, because I had a, di- a totally different experience. As I said, that was my introduction to Queen proper. Of course, I had actually heard more songs than I didn't realize they were Queen, uh, because in in you know the Flash song, the Highlander stuff, all these things, right? But I didn't really know Queen, right? And then this movie comes out, and I'm in the movie, and then they play that song, and I'm sitting there like, "What am I listening to? What is this music?" Yeah. And so immediately after the movie, I'm like, "What is?" And, and I think Dave E.M. is like, "Oh, I think that's Queen," and so. We got like, I got the tape, maybe the CD, probably the tape. And it was just like, listen, started listening, listening, listening. And I started obsessing with Queen. So Bohemian Rhapsody, what out of 10 would you give it? Um, okay, I would give Bohemian Rhapsody... The movie. Because yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah, both yeah. saw it last night. Yeah. By, by the way, I have a question for you. Who are we? I don't know. <laughs> We've never introduced the podcast. Oh, this is the psych. That's what you're asking before. I thought you were trying to say a joke. Yeah. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkonda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and my favorite Queen song would probably be Play the Game. Okay. All you have to do is play the game. Uh, Great song. Great everybody song. play the game. Everybody play the game of love. Yeah. So, my name is Humberto Castaneda, and my favorite Queen song, as I said, is Somebody to Love. Hmm. Uh, I just think it's beautiful. Somebody so. to love. Uh, that's such a good song. And the other song that I really love of theirs is uh, Save Me. 
That one is really great. Yeah. But, but I mean, I have tons that I love. So anyways, you're saying the movie, what would I give it as a rating? And honestly, when I hear We Are the Champions and, and I Will Rock You, I, I think that, those two <laughs> songs are so embedded in my childhood sure. DNA that like every note, every harmony, every beat, you know, right. it, it just it is such, it just well, gets that, me, those songs. That moment when... When Brian May's guitar breaks in. Oh, my God. And you hear that. When you're hearing that loud in a stereo so, system. So I, oh. I, there's, I use Instagram for one reason. Because I, I don't really understand why people use Instagram. I use it for one reason, and it's to look at Jack Black's, uh, or, yeah, Jack Black's uh, Instagram feed. Okay. And he films himself selfie filming while he listens to particular guitar solos. Okay. And he makes those faces. Oh, right. <laughs> I got to watch this. And that I think the amazing. first one he does is the Brian May solo of We Will Rock yeah, yeah. You. Yeah. We Will Rock You, that guitar solo, I remember, so when I started playing guitar, I, I remember realizing for the first time, because when you're a kid, you're listening to a song, oh, it's like, oh, there's the guitar part. Right. But when you start playing the guitar, you're like, that guitar, and I get chills just thinking about it, that guitar solo is potentially the best guitar solo by far that has ever been created. It's crazy. It's man. perfectly staged because there's no guitar throughout the entire. It's a it's an awesome song, right? And then this feedback comes in. <laughs> and it's so sweet and then dirty and it's like yeah. so good. There's no bass. There's no singing. It's just da da da. Yeah. Da da da. It's just guitar and and drums and it's yeah. simple drums and it's the most and, and it just kind of yeah and it has that feeling like everything's gonna be okay yeah like listen to how sweet this sounds and like, that's the thing that's the genius about Brian May's guitar solos is they're so emotional yeah and so lyrical yeah. and so beautiful and you can sing along with it that's why I I hated Steve Vai and all these and like Eddie Van Halen because I'm like I can't sing along with Eddie Van Halen come solos. on let's sing Cliffs of Dover go yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. Um, but anyway, so uh, you were going to give your rating of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I don't know if you'll like my rating. Because um, on the one hand, I loved hearing the music. And I think, uh, what's his name? The guy? Remy. Remy. He knocked it out of the freaking ballpark. Yeah, yeah he was amazing. And I think all the performances in general, except for Mike Myers, because it was a little too much wink, wink, wink. But in general, it was really great. I still, though, I, I think I could only give it a seven. Oh, I give it a seven. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I cried. Did you cry at all? Uh, there were two moments in which tears came to my eyes, uh, for sure. One of them was definitely was when he was in that scene when he's in the doctor and you just see his sunglasses and you see the doctor's reflection saying, do you understand? And I was just like, oh, man. Yeah. That that Just like that knowledge of like what that would have meant. And then... Uh, certainly, the I mean, I think the, the where the movie does incredibly shine, and if they just done that scene, I I, I think it would have been a, a great thing. Is the concert re- recreation of the Live Aid? Yeah, that was amazing. They used, from what I understand, actual recordings of Queen uh-huh. playing that night, and they in the movie just lip synced it. Yeah, because you could tell that was Freddie Mercury singing. Yeah, but he was sing, and you could tell he was singing like live a different yeah. version, um, and and they played so the the show total in reality was twenty two minutes. They played fifteen minutes of that show, <laughs> so 
at the end of this movie, you kind of see the Live Aid performance. You see most of the Live Aid performance as it happened, you know, and they choreographed the right. stage per- show at, from what they re- from the film that they have. And I think the, uh, the credit to his performance, uh, Remy's performance, is that, and, and this is when you know, in these bio, bio biopic biopics biopics, uh, when you have a really great artist pulling it off, you do forget that it's an actor yeah. or an actress. And you're just like, and you don't even go like, wow, that totally looks or that totally sounds. You just forget. You're like, yep. Yeah. We're watching this. Right. <laughs> yeah. I thought, and that's hard to do when, it, when you grow up with Freddie totally. Mercury the way I did. And, you know, so that's, so that was great. You know, like the Jimi Hendrix biopic that came out with Andre 2000 or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, the whole time I'm like, this is Andre playing. Oh, okay. You know? I didn't see that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I gave it a seven out of 10. Uh, I would have given it higher, it, but you know, it was, it was, it's just kind of a mainstream movie. It's not, it, it wasn't, it had no, it had a very <sighs> few rough edges, if any. Like challenges, right? Like this is the thing I didn't understand. So in the real story, for, by the way, he changed a lot of stuff. The writer. Yeah. Meaning things that weren't true at all. Yeah. Uh, and so, but unnecessarily, because they, they, they did actually have struggles early on when, when they had their first, uh, al- or their first demo or first album. Like, none of the labels wanted them. Right. You know, and so, like, why not put that in there? Like, that's some struggles, right? Right. So, that was one of the criticisms was that it didn't have... Like A Star is Born. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. So in A Star is Born, the first half of the movie is the rise of the star. Right. And it really gets specific, you know? Right. Uh, Lady Gaga, at, at the beginning of the movie, she's a waitress that hates her job. Is this based on a real story? No. No. Is it a remake of another movie? It's a remake of a remake, yeah. Oh, it's, it's a, a remake of a Barbra Streisand, Chris Christopherson. Oh, I had no idea. And that was a remake of a, I think, a Judy Garland. So movie. when I saw the previews, I thought this was about Lady Gaga. No, not at all. Okay. Um, so uh, you see the kind of slow, insecure progression. Whereas with Bohemian Rhapsody, it's like Freddie Mercury enters the scene already assuming he's a star right and then but, instantly becomes a star you but know? he's got an ink but don't forget they make fun of his teeth and then one second later it's fine right and then don't forget his first performance he struggles with the mic a little bit but then it's fine right <laughs> right yeah, so yeah. so they i mean honestly to me the overall gestalt of this movie i think it, it does what it sets what it set out to do sure. i think i think some people critics included went to this movie wanting to see some darkness and some, uh, you know, grit or something. But what right. the movie does is it takes the main points that, and it doesn't diverge from the truth that much. We'll get into where it does diverge from the truth. But it basically tells, I mean, I, I have a pretty low bar today because so many movies when they do his, historical dramas, they will completely throw out history and just write a brand new story. Uh-huh. And they, they, they did not do that very much in this movie. They did throw out some history, and I'll get into it. But, but what they set out to do is, we want to glorify Queen. Sure. We want to tell the, the glorified, truthful story about Queen. We have to condense it down to two hours, you know, because we can't tell right, every right. little detail. And we want to give people... 
the glory of Queen, you know, the and the story and the music, because, you know, in some ways you could argue that it was just one big vehicle for Queen music, you know? Right. Because yeah. it really highlights the music and the performances and the goodness of the band, you know what I mean? Yep, yep, yep. And it doesn't really get very gross or dirty or blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it's like... Um, my understanding of Queen history watching this, it wasn't that disturbed. So the things that they, but let's get into some specifics here. Directed by Brian Singer, who uh, did the X-Men movies, Valkyrie. He was fired after sexual assault allegations during the Me Too movement last year. Do you know anything about that, by the way? Yeah, I actually, I have to confess, I didn't realize this movie was by Brian Singer, and I probably would not have watched it if I knew. Damn it. I said I didn't watch the uh, the X Men one. Uh, that's the same guy, right, Brian mm-hmm. Singer? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were allegations that came out against him, and I found them credible. And so, uh, uh, whatever. But anyways, yeah, it was it was alleged that um, you know he that there was underage uh, young men, mm-hmm. and that he was part of a kind of group of abusive Hollywood mogul types that take advantage of those situations. Wow. But, you know, I obviously don't have proof, and who knows? Um, Dexter Fletcher took over and completed the film. I think Brian Singer still retains the credit because he directed most of it or something. Screenplay was by Anthony McCartan, who wrote The Theory of Everything, the story of uh, Hawkins. Yeah. Stephen Hawking. That was pretty good. And Darkest Hour, which is also really good. So these are very um, English. He's a very English historical right. writer. <laughs> uh, it, it gets a lot of good reviews. I think on Rotten Tomatoes is like 65%, but a lot of the critics hate this movie. You know, so, yeah. so most critics like it. A lot of people love it. Yeah. A lot, you know, people are, you know, the, the audience loves it, but some of the more prestigious critics hate it. Uh, why do you think they hate it? Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of what we were talking about. The uh, it it is very much linear. Uh, there's no real struggles, and it it sort of it cleans the story up too much. Yeah. Well, let's get into the specifics on that. But first, let's take a break. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay, we're back from the break. If we were to make a Queen song about becoming a patron, how would that sound, Berto? Once you have a dream to support the thing you love, you must fight for the right to listen to psychology. Psychology, psychology, psychology in Seattle. Something like that. <laughs> so become a patron of the podcast <laughs> by going to psychology or by going to patreon.com. And when you become a patron, you get access to hundreds of patron-exclusive episodes in which you do deep dives into various topics. Uh, It's also the main way that we are able to spend any time on this thing. Before we started Patreon, we could really only spend, like, I don't know, a couple hours a month on this thing. And we would make episodes maybe every week. Yeah. And the episodes are pretty bad because we didn't have time to prep. When people become patrons, uh, it gives us more and more. Essentially, we can take time away from our regular jobs to spend time on the podcast. So become a patron of the podcast. That, that's the way we know that you like this stuff. 
Um, right. So it's criticized for leaving a lot of stuff out, like Freddie was in bands before Queen, for example. Right. So the movie, it makes it look like he was just a talented dude who just like sprung out of nowhere. So, yeah, so like a nobody who happens to be able to sing. Yeah. But he was in bands before. Right. Um, and my understanding is they were, he was roommates with Brian May and the other dude. And Taylor. Uh, he was friends, sorry, he was good friends with the bassist that left. Okay. And he might have been roommates with him or the, like there was, they already knew each other. Right. And he was a big fan of their band. And so it wasn't like they just met that night or something. Right. Yeah. yeah the way they met was completely fictionalized. Um, they also, but, but to me, I could forgive that because it's a biopic. You got to, sure. you got to speed things up sure. and you got to make like fun little, and those, those scenes were pretty fun. Sure. You know what I mean? When they meet and stuff. Um, they, com- oh, there was one thing I didn't understand in that first show. Uh, when he starts singing, why was Brian May like, sing it right? Yeah, I couldn't. What was that? I, I was trying to figure that out too. Um, I don't know. And it didn't go anywhere. Like I thought yeah. that would come back. But yeah, I thought they'd fight after the show yeah. and we'd know what was yeah. I feel like, I wonder if there was stuff that got cut out, cut, you know, was left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. That kind of missing little pieces that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um. So overall, the entire movie, they completely emphasized. So if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend seeing it. But if you have, you know that the main relationship between Freddie Mercury and someone else is with him and Mary Austin, uh, this woman. So all the other relationships are dwarfed or villainized in comparison to that. And a lot of people are like, "Um, he was gay. (laughs) So, and he had lots of relationships, you know, long lasting relationships with, with men. Because yeah. he's gay. Right. I mean, you could characterize him as bisexual because he did sure. have sex with women. But uh, even according to Brian May, who would know these sorts of things, he identified as gay. Yeah. Like if you, you know, Brian May, I was listening to him on uh, Fresh Air with, uh, with um, What's-Her-Face. And um, she, he, she was like, you know, what was his sexuality? And, you know, did he think he was gay? And Brian May was like, yeah, if you asked him, he said he was gay as a daisy or something like that. <laughs> and so that was, and given the politics of the world, it's like, oh, yeah. I, I get it. You're trying to make this appeal to mainstream bigots, essentially. Right. Like, listen, listen, he, he was married to a woman. Sure, you know, he delved a little bit, but who doesn't? Right. But, but, <laughs> but yeah, a more accurate depiction would be he was gay and had boyfriends. Well, he was gay in the closet. Probably didn't realize it early on in his life or yeah. wasn't sure. And Yeah. But definitely in his 20s and 30s, he right. was completely out to his community. Yeah. He wasn't out to the world and he wasn't out to his family, but he was out definitely to the right. friends and people around him. And yet the entire movie basically implies that his main love was this woman. Right. And completely underemphasizes his relationships that he had with other men. Well, like for example, the guy he ends up with in the movie, it turns out that was like that was a long relationship right. that he so they brought him up in a one scene and then he didn't come back till kind of the very end. Right. And so that was interesting, yeah. Right. So it's again, if it were a different topic, right. or if he was say hetero and he had Jane Austen and a number of other women, then you could say, well, you can't really focus on all the women. But right. we're talking about a gay man who uh, identified as gay and right. 
happen to have had sex with women mm-hmm. and if you didn't know Freddie Mercury, you would have walked away from this movie thinking his, the love of his life was Mary Austin. Yeah. That, you know, it, I kind of felt like it was like Forrest Gump in sort of a certain way, how, <laughs> you know, they kept kind of running into each other. That's right. Um, so I think that's a absolutely viable criticism. Um, but to me, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I get it. They're trying to whitewash a little bit, but they're definitely showing us that he's gay and sure. they're definitely showing us that and they're not uh making it look like being gay is bad right. you know at no point are they like gay being gay is they gross. definitely did not villainize it that's for sure yeah they just underemphasized right. the importance of his relationships with men um, uh there, there was a there was a scene that bothered me or not related to to the gay stuff but the first scene when we see mike myers where when they're meeting with the uh, with the Rec- shot record company guy, yeah. I thought so. The scene, if you if you're just watching the scene, it looks like it's working. But the problem is that a lot of the characters in that scene we haven't really been introduced to yet, and yet the the camera's panning and they're showing all the serious faces of the lawyer and their manager and the thing. And I'm thinking, wait, I don't know these people yet. I don't understand. Like, we haven't seen scenes leading up to this, so now I'm invested in what they think or what they're... Mm. I only know the, the, the band members. So the tension was sort of deflated for me because I'm like, well, I mean, I know what you're trying to get out with the scene, but you didn't lead up to the scene, so right now I don't know why there's tension. Hmm. So that was a little bit uh, weird for me. And then the I, other thing I didn't that, get I didn't get that from that scene. I, uh, I understood the gestalt of that scene. Yeah, I got it, but at the same time, like, I, I, I thought that it could have been more effective if... They had showed us them bonding a little bit more with their team, essentially their manager and maybe the lawyer guy. And now they're kind of together trying to convince this hotshot executive, right? Uh, the other thing is I love Mike Myers, but I, I, I felt he stood out too much. Like it was like, oh man, you, you're, and I don't know if it's his fault or whatever, but it's like, you know, we're putting you in as a reference. Well, people I was with seeing the movie didn't know it was Mike Myers. Oh, okay. I had to point it out. Okay. Uh I don't know. It wasn't too distracting to me. Like he even says, no one's going to listen to this in a, no teenager is going to listen to this and rock their head in a car. But, and so that's, that's criticized as well. To me, I just thought it was, because, so the movie is basically a comedy. Yeah. So it's not a dark drama. It's not dark, that's true. And so to me, it, it fit with how I saw the movie. I think, again, I think some people went hoping that would, it would be darker and grittier and more honest, I guess. And I think also people went to this movie hoping it was going to be more of a drama. Well, I was hoping to learn something new, and I didn't really learn anything. But I was very entertained. I was entertained. Right. And so I think think that's the the vibe the producers were going for, was like, let's make a mainstream hit that people will love to watch. Let's not make a movie that, you know, rubs people wrong or... You know, let's make this a movie that mainstream Americans can go see and and be entertained yeah. and and remember how great these songs were and remember how great this band was because that's to right. me to me it's like I don't really give a fuck about the personal lives of these band people like <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of interested in it but to me I love the music and they and, definitely and, showcased the music right they showcase the music they sh- and they you know they give you this sort of progression and the background of like what was kind of happening during those times 
and the fashion and everything and the stage performance. And to me, that that's what I love about Queen. People, the critics are writing about it like, how come we didn't see this part of Freddie Mercury's life? And how come we didn't see that part of Freddie Mercury's life? And I'm just like, if you want to read, you know, a biography about him, then buy a book and read. I think it's biography. <laughs> and read a line by line, you know, historical, factual thing about his life. I, I want to be entertained with Queen. To me, it was like going to see like, um, you know, a Vegas show or something. You know, I, I just like when we saw sure. Love sure. In, in Vegas, uh, the Beatles, Cirque du Soleil. It's like I want to absorb the Beatles. I want to when I went to this movie, I was like, I want to absorb Queen. And I walked out of that movie absolutely satiated. Um, but. At the same time, it wasn't like a mind-blowing film experience, so I gave it a 7 out of 10. So other things they left out, you might not know this, Berto, is that Freddie Mercury reportedly had unprotected sex with a lot of people after he knew he had HIV. I didn't know that. So they didn't portray that, right? Nope. (laughs) Um, And uh, also, they screwed up the timeline at the end. So you remember at the end, he's like diagnosed with HIV and then he kind of has this like redemption by doing the live aid. Yeah. I did know that that was out of sequence. Oh, you did know. Yeah. Yeah. How did he hadn't even been diagnosed at that point? Right. He was diagnosed two years after live aid. Um, so the movie basically pulls at all your, all your heartstrings by like he's diagnosed and then gets back with the band they do this live aid thing, total redemption, even though he's sick, like, right. It's this glorious moment. But in reality, what was happening at the time was when they, you know, did the Live Aid concert, one of his solo albums was in the top 10. Mm-hmm. He had an extremely popular uh, solo album, you know, one of those solo albums right, that right, he was right. talking about. And they, he had reunited with Queen, and their album that year was a number two album. Oh, wow. <laughs> in, in the UK, I think. Yeah. I mean, the thing about, there's a difference between uh, what Americans know about Queen and what the rest of the world knows about Queen. Right. So after the game in America, Queen basically kind of falls off the face of the earth. Like right. there's a couple hits, but like Radio Gaga was not a big song in the United States. Right. Um, uh, what's those other hits, you know? Uh, I want to be free. You know, like right, that. Right. I, don't, I don't remember even hearing that song until it was on like a best of album that I got a hold of. Uh, but the rest of the world, those songs were just as big of hits as I see. as We Will Rock You and Especially all those Especially in England, obviously. Right. And so uh, to us, it was like, what happened to Queen? And then Live Aid, right? To, right. to America, that, that was what happened. But to the rest of the world, it was like, Queen has been doing awesome, you know, right. consist- they had many top 10 albums after the <laughs> game, you know? And and so when Live Aid, when they did Live Aid, that wasn't a redemption. They were like one of the biggest acts at the time. Albums tops, top of the chart, blah, blah, blah. Then two years later, he gets diagnosed with HIV. And then four years after that, he died. Um, so again, to me, even though I hate it when they mess with stuff like that, because you could have told the story uh, truthfully, like, they could have, they still could have broken up because they did have some troubles. He yeah. had some solo albums. They come back. They do this album. But they, uh, others had solo albums too, right? Yeah. They 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 come back. They do Live Aid, which is this sort of redemption for the band, right? And then you sort of say, uh, and then the next scene is like him in the doctor's office getting HIV, 
and then you have a scene of it. You know, like you, you could have done it yeah. in reality and still had it be emotional and right. In fact, I actually watched. Uh, um, I was watching a video on YouTube that was, I think it was a documentary or something, and it was about the like the last toward the last part of Freddie Mercury's uh, life with Queen, and he, when he looked really sick, and they were recording the song. Uh, though those were the days of our lives, that song, and he's looking so like ill at this point. He's super skinny, and they and they're spending a ton of time in makeup, and and he's very like his voice can't it's not as strong anymore, and things like that. Um, and that that whole section was not in the movie at all. They ended right. they ended when he was still super healthy and things like that well in reality he was didn't even wasn't even diagnosed yet yeah yeah Yeah, so apparently um well okay so let's get into some good and the bad of the movie as we said remy uh i think is it malik is great yeah um from mr robot he comes across as both powerful Mm -hmm. and sure of himself and also very vulnerable at times. Very vulnerable, yeah. Like, I thought it was one of the best performances you could ever hope for in a, yeah. in a situation like this. Um, uh, the outfits were fantastic. I thought people or critics are making fun of his teeth, but I thought his teeth situation was accurate. Yeah. People are, people are like, uh, his teeth, they were so huge. And I'm like, have, have you seen, seen Freddie, Freddie Mercury? Mercury? His teeth... <laughs> were huge yeah, yeah, yeah like he and the way that uh i don't know if he did this on purpose but remy the the way that he would because tr- like freddie mercury was constantly trying to cover his teeth with mm-hmm. his upper lip yeah he was constantly like trying to make sure his lip was cu- you could tell he's like always trying to right. hide his teeth you know and remy was doing that too uh, did you know that Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to play Mercury? Yes, I did. I I also uh, heard an interview with him about it. I I'm actually quite sad about it because I'm a huge Sasha Baron Cohen fan. He looks so much like Freddie Mercury. Yeah, like crazy, and except for the teeth, right? But he looks so much like him. And, and, and he he has he's taller, he's so taller. He would have looked a little bit more. He would have been flamboyant, like, but. But at the same time, I can't take away anything from Remy. Like, he just really did amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about what Sasha Baron Cohen would have done with it. I like Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. But honestly, seeing Remy as it, I'm like, eh, I, I, I'm glad they went with Remy, honestly. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to do it, but he left because he was getting in fights with Brian May. Because Brian May was the yeah. main producer and sort of story constructor, you know, should we say, of the movie. And he, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen wanted this to be, he wanted it to, the movie to be more rated R, yeah. more grittier. Um, also, there's rumors that the original screenplay had Mercury dying halfway through the movie. I heard about that. And then the second half of the movie was about like Queen, Queen carrying on, Queen carrying yeah. on in Freddie Mercury's, which would have been so dumb. Yeah. And, and actually, I think that was correct. And that was one of the reasons Sasha didn't want to. Right, and I'm trying to think. There was a movie recently that I saw that was like that, where, or a documentary or something, where it was like halfway through the thing, the the main story ends, right. and then the rest of the story goes on, and you're like, <laughs> oh, I get it. 
the people who paid for this or, you know, or who directed this sort of right. project are the surviving members of the band. Right, right, right. And they want it. They don't want us because like they don't want it. Brian May doesn't want to be like, look, Queen survived <laughs> after Freddie Mercury died. Yeah. So it's know? like a Beatles movie where John dies at the halfway mark. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> um so yeah, I liked the hair. I liked the costumes, the you know the outfits, because uh, throughout the movie, their hair changes quite a bit. The, you know the guys in the band, yeah. and they could have gone with more uh, toned down hair, but they went with the accurate the hair. Accurate. Dude, I I could not believe I wasn't looking at Brian May a lot of times. Yeah, he looked so like, much like him. I was like, actually, wait. Is that Brian? Like, I don't get it. Like, yeah. And great. I'm sure if I saw a side by side, no. But in my mind, I was like, God damn it. That guy looks just like Brian. No, yeah. He looked very much like him. And the bassist looked a lot. Yes. Like, you know who the bassist was? The actor? Yeah. No. He was the kid in Jurassic Park. Stop it. Yeah. The, the original Jurassic Park. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And he was in the, uh, the TV show, The Pacific, the, the war show. Oh, wow. But, um... I thought he was great too. I thought his accent was pretty good. Yeah. I'm an American, so God knows. But um, uh, you know, it's but funny. They got they got his look down so good. Like he had the most '80s look in live <laughs> in live aid. He had poofy hair, yep, yep. like dad jeans, and like a, yeah. a loud shirt. Just so, so bad. So it's interesting. That must explain because when I kept watching him, I had one of those feelings like kind of like I knew him, but I mean like I knew him in real life, like. Wait, do I know that guy? Well, he's been in a lot of things. It must have been because I've seen him, and I, I might have but even... Jurassic met, Park, yeah. for sure, right? Um, the, I loved their production of the music. In movies like this, it always bugs me when they re-record the songs. Right. And I'm like, that's obviously not the, <laughs> the performers. I could tell right from the beginning, I was like, oh my God, they found other takes of Freddie Mercury singing these songs. And it was, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It was so good. I mean, maybe there were a couple songs where they didn't do this, where they so, might they might have got like another singer to do it. Dude, there's a guy that they were using for, for part of the movie who's got all these videos on YouTube. Who sings just like him. It's like uncanny. Yeah. So, so there was some of that, but I could tell there were other times when it was like, yeah. that's another take of Freddie Mercury sure. that they had on a different tape or a performance and they just spliced it in this movie and it sounded so good. Um, they highlighted his cats, but honestly, part of the movie that they didn't emphasize enough was how much he loved his cats. Mm. I mean, he wrote songs on albums <laughs> to his cats. He loved his cats. Yeah. Loved them. I mean, they depicted it a little bit, like when he's like, put, you know, yeah, put yeah. Scrunchie on the phone. I want to talk to Scrunchie. <laughs> and, but he would do that. Right. He loved his cats. They were his kids. <laughs> which, which really, you know, uh, it, Makes validates me because I love my cats too. That's right. You are the new Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked how they depicted the band tensions again in the style of the comedy that sure. they had. But it would, you know, like you, you and I were in a band where we had three songwriters. That's right. And we would have identical, <laughs> identical tensions. That's right. Because, you know, we were putting out an album and we're like, okay, who, whose song gets to go on the album? Right. In the end, we just went with, look, everyone gets equal yep, yep, amount yep. of songs. <laughs> um, so I thought that was pretty great. I, I also loved how they showed how Freddie Mercury's hired band didn't really push back and how <laughs> yeah. that uh, didn't 
um, provide didn't give him the magic that he needed. You know, there's this temptation when George ban- Lucas when bands are together, yeah, or people like George Lucas, where you're just like, I'm awesome. Look at what I've done. I don't need all these fuckers. I can do this by myself. Right. In fact, they're standing in my way because they disagree with my ideas. Right. Like, you know, Paul, George, uh, John. And it's like, no, <laughs> these these naysayers are some of the only humans on the planet who are willing to point out to you how dumb some of your <laughs> ideas are. You know, and so when Freddie Mercury is with Queen, they're like, eh, I don't know, you know, yeah. I don't know about that song or I don't know about that move. And uh, when you hire your own band, they're just like, yep, everything sounds great, boss. That's what you're paying me to tell you, and that's what I'm going to say. And lo and behold, the product isn't as good. Yeah. Um, Also, another good thing that I'll point out is the CGI crowd was the best CGI crowd I've ever seen. It's so funny you mention that because, of course, it, it was done so well, first of all, that I certainly wasn't even thinking about it. But you know in that final scene when you're looking out into the Wembley crowd? Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and, and then I, I become aware of it just because I'm realizing, oh, this has to be generated because, of course, they didn't hire all these extras. And, oh, my God, I cannot tell. Yeah, I – so whenever I see computer-generated crowds, right. I instantly start looking for flaws. Right. And there's two flaws that I will see. One is is – uh, repetitive, Beats, yeah. yeah. You'll see repetitive <laughs> outfits or repetitive movements, right? Because you'll, you know, they can only code so many variations, and so right. they just sort of copy and paste. They either, they either coded every individual human being in that in that in that audience, or repeated them in such a way that, and they also they also showed very quick panning of the crowd. Right. So right. so, but the the other thing you'll see are. Uh, repeats and outfits. You'll see, yeah. like you'll you'll see patterns emerge. You know, yeah. and I didn't see anything, but I but I but it did look computer generated to me enough. And I was like, it has to be computer generated. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, at least ninety nine percent of that crowd cannot be there. Right. And I was like, that's amazing because that, that looks amazing. that looks real. It was really really well done. Right. Every once in a while, we hit a, a sort of landmark in CGI technology. Where we're like, oh, okay, we've now we're over, here. We, we've arrived. Like the first right. time they did water effects, yeah. Like that was a big deal. I don't know which movie. Maybe it was uh, Finding Dory two or something. I can't remember what movie it was, but right. I remember being like, oh my god, they've nailed water. It's like Jurassic Park was the first time where you were like saw a full bodied apparition that looked absolutely real, right? And when you look back on it, to me anyway, it's like. Well, dinosaurs are kind of easy. One, because yeah. we don't know what they really look like. Sure. And two, they're kind of stiff. You know? Yeah, I mean, no, that's fair. They don't have right. like hair or anything, right. you know. And, but but they but that and that's but, but it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. amazing. Yeah. And because you also got the sense of scale and all these things. Right. It, it was like a first. But it was an easy it was a looking back, it was right. low hanging fruit. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't to me. If, if if I didn't know any better, you'd be like, which is harder, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or a, or a lake? A monkey or something, yeah. Or a lake. <laughs> or like, a lake, what would yeah. be easier to sure. computer generate, a T-Rex or a puddle? I'd be like, yeah. well, obviously a puddle would be easier. Sure. It turns out puddle was much harder. It took longer. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> there were so many water effects prior to when they nailed it where you're like, oh, that's obviously computer generated. Sure. And the um, And, you know, like take Toy Story where also... 
it's you get to take a lot of shortcuts. But still, right. when Toy Story came out, it was like, oh my god, like that you can really now see a full movie where it's all computer graphics. Yeah. And it's it's great, but, you know. But they avoided humans. They avoided because humans. they were really bad at. In making... fact, the baby was. Remember, was it the short before, or was it in? Remember that baby in the Pixar short? It looked really uncanny. Yeah, I think that was one of those shorts, like okay. before Toy Story. Uh, Titanic. They did really good with the ship, right. but they did terrible with the people. Because right, I it, remember the people looked all all yeah. programmatic. Yeah. Uh, okay, so some bad things about the movie that I'll say is that, other, in addition to what we've already said, is that it over-focused on the song Bohemian Rhapsody. I yeah. feel like because of Wayne's World, yeah. I, to me, as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, does, does, does everyone consider Bohemian Rhapsody to be the main Queen song? Because to me, growing up, Bohemian Rhapsody was like, number 15 yeah. uh, on like the list of Queen songs sure. that, that were iconic to me. To me, we are, you know, uh, the champions, and I will rock you, and even crazy little thing called love. We will rock you. We will rock you. Sorry, are more. Well, they had a B side called "I Will Rock." Oh, you. okay. <laughs> that that was uh, <laughs> Freddie Mercury's solo song. I will, I will rock you. <laughs> um, and, well, but but you know what though, Bohemian Rhapsody was a number one in the UK, so I wonder if. I wonder if Bohemian Rhapsody was, in fact, much bigger in the UK. Okay, I can see that for sure. But to me, the the movie really focused on that it, song. It did, yes. And I thought that was kind of dumb to me. And, because and actually, I, I consider it to be sort of like when, what could I, th- like, if you made a Beatles biopic. And number you f- nine was the fuck. No, no, or you focused on <laughs> what, like... Uh, help or revolution like sure. like you named the movie revolution and like you just kept hammering on the song revolution well, actually i will even say even though it's a great song if you made a beatles movie and you focused on across the universe because everyone sort of knows that movie and that song now do you know what i'm saying <laughs> but at the same time to me when i as i was processing what was happening in the movie i'm like oh there are some people who pretty much that's the only Queen song they know. That's because true. because because like Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Right. Uh Journey to me, I love Journey. There's probably twenty five Journey songs that I love. Right. And Don't Stop Believing is one of them, you know. With the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> but because of of uh Glee and karaoke. Times, it was it was the Sopranos. Okay. And then Glee. Okay. Yeah. Don't Stop Believing comes out. Because you remember, actually, back in the day when you and I were in a band, right. and you hired that uh, guy to be a consultant yep, so yep. that we could become famous, which Is, I was extremely skeptical yeah, of, of Israel working. Israel or something? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so so in, so we were in a band, and Umberto hired this guy. He was like a PR consultant of some kind to like propel us into the stratosphere of stardom. <laughs> and the whole time, I'm like, this is never going to work, but you know, I'll play along. And his first assignment for us was for us three songwriters to come up with a pop song that we looked up to and we would analyze it and we would meet with him and talk about yeah. what elements of this song made it a great pop song. Right. And what song you probably pick like an Oasis song or something, or I, yeah, I don't remember what I picked. or Billy Joel or something. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Shun would have picked an Oasis song. I, I chose don't stop believing by journey. Yeah. 
And all, all you guys were confused by that pick because this is before its resurgence. And I remember thinking this is a perfect song because it builds, it has a story and the chorus doesn't happen until the end. And it doesn't stop with the chorus. The the chorus just keeps, it just ends with the chorus. Um, and, uh, similar, I guess to, you know, uh, we will rock you. It's like, it ends with a guitar solo anyway. And so, uh, I was telling this to this Israel guy, that was his name. Apparently he worked with, uh, the white tees or whatever. Yeah. The plain white tees. Plain white tees band. Yeah. And I remember him going like, I don't understand why you picked this song. Anyway, then it has this huge resurgence and then, and then everyone, and then I'm like, I had a little bit of retribution. I'm like, it's now it's one of the biggest songs in America. Right. I told you it was a great pop song. Anyway, my point is, is that the movie focused on Bohemian Rhapsody. And as I was watching this, I was like, this kind of cheapens the Queen story to me because um, I just feel like I have a much deeper understanding of the Queen, mm. of Queen's repertoire, you know, because sure. when I sit down to listen to Queen, I I actually kind of avoid Bohemian Rhapsody to yeah, some level. Yeah, but for me, I, I, I hear that because for me, Bohemian Rhapsody is a special occasion. Like we're at karaoke and someone chooses it and but we're going to do it. But even then, I'd really have to be in the right mood. You sure. know what I mean? But like, give me any of the, play the game, right, any right. of those other songs. I'll, I'll listen to those nonstop. Um, lip syncing musicians always look terrible. Uh, you know, because all these guys were actors. They're not musicians, right. or at least they're not great musicians. And seeing uh, the guy who played Brian May, uh, the guy who uh, uh, did uh, the bassist um, Deacon, they uh, I could just tell they were lip syncing, which always kind of bugs me. Um, but they did it well enough in this movie where they kept the camera moving really quick. Mm. Like they very rarely focused on anyone very right, fast. Right. And so you didn't have time to process how bad their lip syncing was. Um, you know, so there's that. Um, the one thing that I wished was not jokey was the, when they were in the studio, because queen is one of the most accomplished studio artists of all time. They worked the studio. Well, there was a couple scenes where they're like, Oh, let's do panning vocals. And I'm like, really? That's what you're, that's the genius. Right. Right. I love that too. I, I, that's so funny again you mentioned that because in that moment because both of us have recorded a lot and so you're sitting there and and I I didn't know where the scene was going right they're like "Ah, it's missing something and I'm thinking oh what are they gonna and they're like oh pan our vocals and I'm like okay that's fine (laughs) well it's it's fine and cheesy like I actually don't like it when they do that because when you're listening in stereo it throws you off you're like huh (laughs) Um, so anyway, um, but, but I did, I did, in fact, I I think I, I saw someone else saying this on a review or something, but I did wish they had shown us a a little more of them in their, in that creation process in the studio. Right. Because they could have done that and still made it interesting and developed the characters a little bit. But like when they're recording Bohemian Rhapsody, the vocals, you know, and he's going, go higher, go higher. I'm like. You can't tell him just to go higher. You have to tell him what note he needs well, to Well, not sing. only that, that, oh, God, it's funny. You and I probably had the same Because it's like, don't, don't go higher. You, you don't just tell someone, sing higher. Well, not only that, he wasn't going higher in pitch. Yeah. So, I, I, I think the, which is funny, why would the script get through this way? Because I think what is happening is you're like, well, there's that moment in the song where he does go higher, right? Yeah. For me, right? But that's not that moment yet. 
And so what do you mean by go higher? Right. Do you mean hit the note more precisely? Yeah, it, 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 to me, this really cheapened the creative process that Queen had right. in, in, and their genius. The idea that they were just like, oh, go higher. And, yeah. and then he, as a joke, goes higher. It's like, no. Queen sat down and fucking wrote those harmonies. Yeah. Uh, Mercury sat down on a piano and said, this is the note we're going right. to sing now. This is the note we're going to sing now. And this is when you hit this note. Yeah. Like, it was not a fucking haphazard. Nope. If, if it was haphazard, <laughs> the song would be shit, like yeah. all the other rock bands of, right. of, 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 well, yeah. of any, all time. Any average band that would attempt such a complex piece, yeah. like, it would just fall flat. Right. That song was meticulously written and performed right. and understood by four genius musicians right. that knew what notes to sing and probably had a couple of versions like, uh, let's, let's rework that. Let's do this. Right. And so this notion of just like, it just sort of spilled out of them was just I like, I don't know really the whole story, but I also like, they, they were the arrangers, right? Like Freddie Mercury arranged most of the, they yeah. didn't have a George Martin, let's say. No, they, they had a, they had an engineer producer who knew what he was doing, uh-huh. but definitely the band right. had a very tight grip on, right. on the creative process. Cause like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like, like one of the scenes that I, you know, wish they would have done. In addition to that sort of emphasis, was um, there's this the bit where uh, at the end of that where it goes do 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 do, and then Brian May has this guitar solo. Yeah. Where they say, see, that's actually one of those examples of Taylor's weird uh, drum parts. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like da 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 Like it's sort of a weird syncopation there. Anyway, Brian May writes this beautiful guitar solo transitioning into the slow part. That is so singable and yeah. lyrical, and you can sense his coin on the strings. Yeah. And I wish they would have shown him writing that and getting feedback from the group and being like, yeah. oh, make it more like this. And like, oh, that was great. Because Freddie Mercury wrote the song and said, Brian May, you need to play a solo right. for these 16 bars that transitions from the hard part right. back to the soft part. And Freddie Mercury had no idea what, you know, Brian May was going to do. Right. And Brian May just writes this beautiful part. And I, I just thought, like, they made it everything into the silly joke. Right. Again, that's another example of if you throw the structure of the song at an average or a really good guitarist, even, it, it, it'll still not feel like it's glue, gelling together. Like, there won't be that glue. And, and, and you're right. That, that guitar line just makes it all work in that moment. And then the scene with the mic stand, like you mentioned, so it's sort of accurate in that during a gig, he was having trouble with a mic Uh stand and just said, fuck it, I'm just going to rip this thing off. And, and, and and then that became his signature sort of scenario. Um, And as a lead singer in a band who myself, who I'm now in a band where I don't play any instrument, I understand the, a desire to have something to grab onto. Right. Because you know when you're nervous and on stage, you don't know what to do with your hands? Right. Well, it's like, it's good to have something to grab onto with both hands, but not a mic stand. Anyway, <laughs> so I get that. But it again, it played off as super jokey, you know? And, yeah. and like, as I'm watching, I don't know about you, so as I'm watching him struggle with this mic stand, I'm like, 
do you not know how to fucking work a mic stand? <laughs> like you're, he's, he was ripping it apart and like it, it yeah. played like, um, like an SNL skit or something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like that. Come on. Like, cause do you remember uh, the movie, the doors yeah. with Val Kilmer? Um, they, they did emphasize how he had such a problem performing at first. Yeah. You know, and he had to turn away from the audience and all these things. Um, so they, you, like you could have had a, a scenario where like he was sort of awkward at first, and I don't know if that was true or not. But instead, they like in it's well, yeah. Like, he he one he was awkward. He obviously didn't just spring onto the stage right. with that persona. Two, he wasn't a very good singer at first. Oh, really? Yeah. Like at first, he people were like, he's not a good singer. But see, I wish they would have done this because it felt like like we said earlier, every struggle was a micro struggle. Like oh. I, I'm trying. This is my first gig. I've never been in a band before, according to the what you think is in the movie. And oh, but it's so hard to grab a mic. But now I did it, and now we're six months later, and we're already kind of on. And that was a little disappointing. I mean, yeah. So again, I'm disappointed too. But I also realize if our you know wishes were you know satisfied, the movie would have been extremely different and yeah. probably not appealing to. <laughs> Maybe though, but look, take uh, Eight Mile, and I realize that's not a, a biopic, right? But Eight Mile is a movie about. I mean, how likely was Eight Mile to be a good movie and succeed? If but, I had told, but you I would argue that Eight Mile isn't mainstream. It's not trying to be mainstream, right? But but let's say I had told you, hey, what do you think? They're making a movie with Eminem about a rapper. And he makes good. Like, I don't think on the onset people thought, oh, that's going to be an amazing movie, right? But the thing that that movie had that I think worked well is it had struggles that people could relate to. And the guy doesn't just succeed easily. And so that makes it, it's a Rocky story. You know, it's like, oh, okay, he fails a lot. And in this movie, they almost didn't fail at all. Right. Right. So, again, I, I, I... it's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine the movie uh, going in that direction and still retaining the overall gestalt of glorifying Queen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, the last thing I'll say is I had no idea until watching this movie that he was not a white Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> That's true. I did not know that either. And I feel so dumb for not knowing that he was not, you know, from no idea. from England. Because yeah. to me, it's like... No, he, no, it's even more. I Before the movie, I knew that he had been... Uh, was it India that they were in? No, he was born, born... It was India, right? In, but they were living in India. Okay. His family's from India, yeah. right. But, but they're, but they're I, Persians who f- went to India in the 600 AD. Okay, so here's the deal. I knew that they had been in India or something. But I just assumed there was a British family right. that had been in India. Right. So seeing right. his parents, I was like, wow. Was that his parents? Yeah, right. it was like really interesting. And how interesting it is that uh, there so many things are like this. Like Tiger Woods right. is half Asian. Right. He is... He might be half black, but his dad might not be entirely black. So if anything, right. Tiger Woods is an Asian golfer. Right. Um. Uh, Bruno Mars is 
if anything, he's an Asian singer. People yeah. think of him as a black right, singer. Right. He's he's I think more people thought of both yeah, Tiger Woods and Bruno Mars as black people. Yeah. Because America only sees white and black. It's like people thought of Michael Jackson as a black singer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um there's other examples of this too where there's something about our country when it comes to or Western society, when it comes to Asianness, it just gets forgotten. Hmm. You know, it's like, oh, you're white. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're a white guy. And people will do that to me. They'll just be like, oh, come on, you're a white guy. And yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm as white as Obama is white. Right. Is Obama, would you call Obama, oh, you're a white guy? It's like, so yeah, I'm half white, just like Obama is half white. I think it's maybe because the traits that, uh, you know, like the dark skin pigment trait is more visibly obvious potentially than some of the other traits. To me, when I see Tiger Woods and when I see Bruno Mars, especially, I see an Asian guy. I see Asian because mm. Tiger Woods has Asian eyes. I would have said that about Tiger Woods. And he's a fucking golfer. I mean, you know, it's pretty Asian. <laughs> but I wouldn't have said that about Bruno Mars. That's a shocker to me. Oh, to me, yeah. Bruno Mars looks very much like people from the Philippines. Well, now that I think about it, he does remind me of Mitch. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, that does it for that episode. Uh, tell us what you thought of Bohemian Rhapsody, if you agree or disagree with us by Scaramouche, going... Scaramouche, Scaramouche. you do the Fandango? Oh, my Thunderbolt God. of lightning. Very, very frightening. Um, you can email us at contact.psychologyinseattle.com. Also, know that you can go to our website and go to the Contact Us page and fill out the form. There's some questions on there. I always prefer that people tell me whether or not I can read the email on the podcast, how you want me to refer to you as, if you want it to be anonymous or you want me to say like John from Portland or something. And also let me know if you're a patron or not, because honestly, patrons get preference. So you got to become a patron. That was more like, um, like Bruce Springsteen or something. Or um, what was the guy with the, what would you do if I sang out of tune? Uh, Would you stand up and walk out on... Joe Cocker. He died, Joe Joe Cocker. That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us because... You deserve it!